Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Calling the Man's Answer Show every Tuesday and Friday. How you guys living? Living right, hopefully. I hope you guys are staying safe and hanging out with your family at this time of the year. Um, some of you guys have hit me up about donations. Uh, we are not taking donations right now, but I'll let you guys know if that changes in the future. No new sponsors. Take a listen to this podcast with Nolan Cohurst, head of Champions of Vegas Kicking. What's the difference between Google? Is it just the Google version of Zoom? Pretty much. Um, some of the buttons are different, and there's uh like i don't like i haven't played around with zoom since we stopped using it but pretty much the with google you have a bunch of attachments you can put on and extensions so like there's certain ones where it's like it automatically takes attendance for you and it automatically does um there's there's something called uh called nod where the kids can like raise their hand like virtually so it'll pop up on my screen their hands raised instead of having me look at 30 different screens. So, yeah, yeah. There, I know there's a hand racing on zoom, but I've never heard I, my teachers. I don't know if they, if there's a one of them on zoom or if they're just kind of out there, but they like call roll call on zoom. And it's like, dude, half of these kids are in bed. Like yeah. I'll do, I did something called, um, I called it, uh, I called it mic check, uh, where it was essentially, um, cause I mean, I'm teaching a black screen, so it's not even like having a conversation with people. It's like, I'll get on and be like, all right, good morning, everybody. And it's dead silent. So, cause nobody says anything. So I'll like, I'll have one or two kids now that'll jump in and it, it's all about building that relationship with the kids. But once you, once that's built, uh, it's fine. But especially for the, from the beginning, it was like, Hey, mic check. You guys either have to type into the, into the box or you have to physically be on camera because I'm not like you kids will jump on and all of kids will sit there in class like this the entire time. And then you'll call on them and then they'll look down at you. It's like, okay, you're either watching TV or playing video games. Yeah. So what grade are you teaching now? Uh, 11th and 12th. Sorry. So I got us history and government. Us history and government now. Mm-hmm. You like teaching government? Government's fun. So it's, it's fun because I just play devil's advocate the whole time. Mm-hmm. So um, I had one of my students last year. Because uh, that semester, I always say, what do you guys like? What do you guys dislike about my class? What do you want me to do more of to help you guys? Because if I, if I like one way of teaching, but it doesn't help you, it doesn't, that, that doesn't help anybody. Um, so I always ask people at semester, what do you like? What do you dislike? And one of them said that they like that they don't know what my politics are. And I said, I said, that's, that's how it should be. I said, you, it shouldn't, I said, if you really watch the way I talk and the way that I do things, you can pick up on it. But I said, I'm going to play devil's advocate every single time anything's brought up. So it makes it harder for you guys to pick up on it. Cause I don't want, I don't want anyone to walk into a voting booth and go, I'm going to vote for that candidate because that's who he would vote for. Mm-hmm. I want you to think for yourself. Yeah, because government's senior year, right? I don't know if you guys do it the same as Zoom. Yeah. I'm at Slam. So, yeah, yeah I, that's kind of the reason I got into, because I'm at, in school up in Oregon, obviously. I'm, so right now I'm listed as a double major, uh, politics and government, because it's not really poli-sci there. It's politics and government, and then philosophy, and kind of like double majoring. Because obviously law school is the end goal. And then, um, and then but I'm probably going to drop philosophy to a minor. But that's kind of the reason I got into it in uh, – 
uh, college was because of my government class with, with Nowinski at mm-hmm. basic. Cause the way he taught it was kind of like that. Like you didn't know his, you didn't know his, um, politics or anything, but he was like really interactive and stuff. And I could see you being a pretty interactive teacher, but I don't know. I don't think I know this. And I definitely know people who are listening to this. Don't know this. What, why did you become a history major in college? Was it just like something that interests you before you went to college or like, did you figure it out in college or like why history? So for, uh, kind of my road, I went in and my, my dad's an optometrist. So he's an eye doctor and went into it. I was like, you know what? I like, I like what my dad does. I think it's cool. Like I've sat in on appointments and done kind of whenever I'm at the office over the summer or anything, I'd help out. Like I could do that. And then I realized that like biology sucks. So I took my, my first, I, I went in as a bio major, as a pre-med major. And I, my first class I had in college was uh, bio 189, which was essentially basics to biology, but for nursing and pre-med majors. And the teacher said, look to your left, look to your left, or look to your right, look forward, look back. One of you will pass this class. So, and I was like, okay, like she's just scaring us. It's our first class. Took the first test and half the class dropped after the first test. So then I was like, I got to stay eligible. I got to keep my grades up. So I had, I was meeting with the tutor like three times a week just for bio. Um, so after that, I was like, if this is the first class, I can't imagine doing the rest of it. So um, UNLV at the time uh, didn't have educational um, social studies. So they didn't have education with social studies. So I was like, I got bad information because they just said, oh, go as a history major and then you can just take the test and you're good to go. Yeah, that's not how it works. Um, but that's the story I was told. So I went with history. So. Yeah. Um, especially for the bio thing. Well, not even for the bio thing, but just in general for like staying eligible. I think for people who don't play college sports, that's like, I don't know how they do it because like, I mean, obviously I come, I strive and I get straight A's and things like that. But like a lot of my friends, the only reason they're eligible is because they play football at school. Like they wouldn't be eligible if they didn't. And I know, like, I know you, me and you both know people who have gone to other schools and aren't eligible and they can't play. And then the coach gets mad and they bring in another guy, but it's like, for kids who aren't going to um, school to play sports, how do you, how do they stay motivated? Because like, I feel like it's super easy just to party away and like, well, I mean, obviously right now it's pretty hard, but just in general, like how do you stay motivated to, to go to class, especially on zoom? Like I have no idea. Like if I wasn't playing football, I would have skipped a couple of classes just because of the sheer fact that it's over the internet. You know, well, to, to even extend that even further, um, like not even college, like you take, like you take college athletics, that's your, that's your 5% of kids that, that played high school sports. Like maybe now you drop that down. Even kids are playing high school sports, kids playing youth sports, whose parents are like, Hey, if your grades aren't at this level, you can't play. Or if you have missing assignments, you can't play. Um, you get into high school and it's a lot of kids right now, it's, the only reason they're showing up at all this whole fall semester is the promise that they're going to get sports in the spring. Um, you take the, once that goes away, there's really nothing to hold them to. 
like I know, like for our seniors last year, um, that's this spring semester killed them. It was one where you, they had their spring sports ripped out of their hands a week, the, the week they were starting and said, you might get it back. Now you're going to get, now you're staying locked up. No one really knows what's going on. And now we've taken away your one really social interaction where you're playing sports. So you have that taken away. Um, I mean, that was, that's one of my big motivations getting into sports um, and getting into coaching was looking back at my teammates in college, looking back at my teammates in high school, even looking back at my career, not that I had a troubled past by any means, but I mean, I'm both, my parents were awesome sitting there and would sit at the dining room, dining room table with me and would do homework with me every night. Um, but it was one where looking back, I was like, for the kid that doesn't have that, for the kid that this is their only outlet to get away from things, I want to be that role model, be able to sit there and be like, hey, coach, I need help with this. Or how do I get recruited? How do I do this? Just one person that'll sit there and talk to them and not yell at them and not, not uh, abuse them in any way and kind of be that that light for them to say hey this is what i want to strive to not that i expect any of my players in any sport that i coach to be like oh that's my role model there but at the same time it's it's one where if i can be that light or i can be the person where they're like you know what i i want to go to practice because he's there or because i know it's going to be better because he's coaching that's what it's all about it's not about i could care less if i ever win a ring or ever have a trophy or whatever. But if I get to that point and like, I even, I have people coming back from slam or I have kids coming back from basic like you where it's like, Hey, let's, let's hang out. Like that's all I want. Yeah. Um, go, going back to what you said at the beginning of that. Um, one thing that I felt super bad for, especially at my school, um, what is baseball players? I mean, obviously softball too, and other spring sports. But um, the fact that they they're probably not going to get a spring because we are not we don't we don't have the money to at this at school to test the way that our governor wants us to probably. So the like baseball might play, but spring sports are not going to be playing in at, at the level that I'm playing at, and so spring sports like baseball will now have had two semesters of just their sport ripped from their hands. And like football is like, we did get our year last year and everything. Um, but it's like, to what extent do you go, you know, to prevent, cause like D one sports are going to play. They're going, they're playing right now and they're going to play. Um, but it's like the schools that don't have that money or high schools that are in the areas that um, aren't going to allow sports to be played in the spring, mainly West coast. Um, what are you saying to those seniors, whether college or not? Because like, here's the thing. Yeah, they're getting another year and maybe they'll get two years if they're baseball or track or whatever. But here's the thing. What if they want to go to graduate school? They're not going to waste two years of their lives just to play a sport that's at not going to take them professional. So it's like you guys are just wasting all these guys' time on a sport that they wanted to play just because of there's not enough funding for testing. And, and, and it's in this weird, there's this weird area where it's like, do you let them play just like us in the spring or do you force them to not play? You know? Yeah. I think, I mean, football's football's always kind of the odd one out, but it's always the one that people focus on because football is the one with money. Like I don't care who, what sport you look at, what school you look at. Football's the one with money. It, I mean, 
you can get into some of the other big uh, kind of division one schools where you get basketball in there. But besides basketball and baseball or besides basketball and football, nobody's making money. Now you get into the rest of them and football is paying for stuff. Basketball is paying for stuff. So when you come to track soccer, softball, baseball, where it doesn't matter how many people come to your games every day, it's not even going to come close to covering what your cost was off of travel, uniforms, scholarships, whatever it is. So when you get to that point, it's, what are, how do we, how do we afford this and how do we give this option to them? The other thing too, is everyone's looking at it like, Oh, well, we'll just give these guys another year of eligibility. And like you just said, okay, do I stay for another, my other year of eligibility to say that I can still play and put my life on hold and maybe go get another, uh, maybe go take another bachelor's or get my first year of a master's, even if it's not the program I want to be in. Do I stay here to play baseball or football or whatever sport you're playing? Or do I just move on with my life? I think that's going to be a big question when we come to next season, when we come to spring to say, okay, are the schools even going to allow you to stay? Or are they going to kind of run you off? Because with D1, they can't pull your scholarship unless you're breaking rules. So they can't just cut you to say, we're going to cut you to save space. They're going to start having telling guys, hey, you need to leave or you need to at least drop your scholarship. If you want to walk on, you can, but we need room for more guys. Yeah, it's definitely screwing a bunch of players who are were going to get looked at and are not now going to get looked at. Because like, like people forget that like there is a good amount of D2 and D3 guys who get picked up on practice squads and, and, and become return men and all those things. And cause most of the time they're playing at that level, they're very good athletes. It's just, they're small usually is the thing or they're injury prone or something like that. But usually it's small. It's usually small or they're in a limited position. And am I right by saying that, um, Ivy league, I think I heard Derek saying this. I don't know if it's true or not. Did the Ivy league get rid of swimming and tennis altogether? Um, I don't know that for sure. I don't know. I don't, I haven't heard that, but I know one of, I know one thing that the Ivies tried to do and Harvard started this and then they kind of backtracked on it was a couple years. I think it might've been two years ago. Um, Harvard came out and said, we are going to eliminate all gender specific groups on campus to kind of be more united. However, they're going to phrase it. Um, the problem is sports are considered a, a group on campus. So if you say we're going to eliminate all gender uh, specifications on this, now you have a basketball team. Now you have a soccer team. So instead of it being, oh, you have to allow this number of girls or boys onto a team, it's you have this many spots. So Harvard backtracked that real quick um, because – essentially the Ben's basketball team was like, okay, well, we're the basketball team. Now the girls aren't going to make it on the team. So Harvard backtracked real quick on that just to say, Hey, this isn't going to work. I didn't even think about when you were saying that I was thinking, Oh, they're going to bring girls on to get more funding. But then I didn't think about it as there's only enough spots. Why would they do that? Because they're trying to win. You know, well, it's, uh, it's one where you look at, uh, like you look at the NBA and like um, kind of the big name that kind of comes to mind, and this may be dating me a little bit, is Brittany Griner when she was at Baylor. Now, when Brittany Griner came out, they're like, oh, well, she's the best women's basketball player 
in college right now. She's going to dominate the WNBA. She played pickup against, like, I don't even remember who it was. He played pickup against somebody in the NBA, and he just thrashed her. And it was like, he was like a seventh man. Like, coming off the bench, maybe playing 10 minutes a game, and thrashed her. It's like, if you if you put Brittany Reiner up against LeBron, like, she's not even going to touch the ball. So, it's, it's one where in... High school is a little bit different because you can take some of your, even like take soccer, for instance, you could take some of your better girls, um, especially defensemen and put them on the boys team. They'd probably be okay. But boys are just faster for the most part. So now to say that girls sports don't matter is dumb. So like to say that boys are better and everything, that's just dumb. Girls have their place in their sport. We have sports set up in a certain way. So it makes sense. But there's a reason why, like, you take a 30-year-old man against a 30-year-old woman, he's bigger, faster, stronger than 90% of the women out there. So that's, when you, when you try to make it gender equality, that's why we give equal representation to each and not just say, okay, good luck trying out for the boys team. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I was like, there's it kind of is disrespectful to to the girls in that sense, especially in the college level, because those girls have worked so hard at their respective sports to take that away and say now you have to compete with boys. Like, I don't think there's any woman that plays a sport and is very competitive at a sport that thinks that she wants to be competitive with a dude that's comp- competitive at the same sport. You know, like I don't think there's any girl that wants to play a sport with a dude. I mean, I, let's not say that, but I'm saying it's disrespectful in the sense because they work so hard to play other girls because that's their area and by taking that away it, it makes it it's just disrespectful i feel like well and especially in and like in recent current events so we look at the if we look at sarah fuller the girl that just kicked for vanderbilt two weeks ago she didn't walk on the football team and said i'm gonna beat every boy out here it, she walked on the football team and said you have a necessity i'm here to fill that necessity if you need me to hit a field goal i'm gonna hit a field goal for you if you need me to hit a kickoff to this spot on the field that's what I'm going to do. She didn't go to the coach and said, I'm going to go beat out all your boys. They went to her and said, we need you to kick for us. And she filled in and did a great job for him. So it wasn't about women being better than men or men being better than women. It was the harmonious bond between both of them. And she wanted to help her school and help her team. I was interested to see what your thoughts were on that because in my mind, it's like all, if she's good, like let her play, but it's also like, not that it's like we get enough shit being kickers, but like we get enough shit being kickers just alone. Like I don't like when you start like, like, like I was telling you like a few days ago, it's like, Chris Saylor kicking and Cole's kicking, like kicking has become very competitive. The more athletic oh, yeah. you are, the the better chance you are getting into uh, the NFL. You know, look at Joey Sly. Joey Sly is absolutely jacked. Joey Sly is jacked. Johnny Hecker is huge. Like, I, I don't think there's, there's very few punters in the NFL who are below 6'3", 6'2", at, at the lowest. And there's very few kickers who are not, pretty athletic like uh, who who would you look at in the nfl and say like oh they're not that athletic anymore like i mean i guess blankenship he doesn't look that athletic but he's got a boot on him and then like dan bailey like the older guys obviously there that are still cycling around but most of the young guys like harrison butker even justin tucker to an extent they like even though they're lean they look like they're 
athletic and it's becoming more of an athletic position. And so like, if you're getting dudes that are athletic kicking, like if there's a girl who can match them, it like, let her do it, you know, but like it, it's becoming more and more competitive. You know, I don't think that people are allowed, like in some coaches aren't like thinking about it anymore. Like, like they're like, Oh, we need a kicker. Like kicking, like if you're in college, they're expecting you to kick 50, 52, 55. Now instead, like I can't imagine 30 years that it was like anything greater than 45, you know? Well, I mean, I mean, and I've told you this before when, when I coached you and then, and especially in high school, was coaches now it are were when when I was coming up through high school it it almost became you have to focus on one sport so and I feel like we're coming out of that now where people are looking at it and going well this is dumb that we're only having kids do one sport they they can't do anything else I remember playing baseball and I'd go to baseball practice and have a football or I'd have a soccer ball or something and kids baseball players couldn't run because they were so used to just doing ground ball drills or just doing pitching or just doing catching. And the same thing with soccer players. I'd go to soccer practice and bring a baseball glove and they'd kill themselves trying to throw a ball. So it, it, I think it's interesting if we, if you like, if you go back and look at NFL players in general, not even kickers, um, but if you go back and look at NFL players, I think it's like, it's some crazy that like 98% were like all state in two sports. And we're like multi-sport athletes in high school. And then some of them, multi, a lot of them are multi-sport athletes in college, whether it be track and football or basketball and football or whatever it was. But you're seeing a rise in this and you're seeing it, the kind of that pushback of, hey, you should only do one sport to, hey, go be an athlete. So I know with you, it, I, was, I never had you guys shy away from tackling drills. So I never had, I always wanted you guys to throw. I always wanted you guys to get in and do other stuff. I would tell you, hey, if you're not doing a sport in the another sport in the spring, you better be doing something. Okay, with you is go play volleyball. With Montana, it was go play baseball. So it's go do something else besides take three steps and kick a ball. So I think it, I think it's becoming much more apparent to people that you need to be a well-rounded athlete, no matter what you do. Um, but you need to be at the top of your game. Now, for us, it's a little bit easier than your linebacker that for us, we can sit there and, okay, I'm a, I have volleyball practice from three to five. Okay. I'm going to go kick for half an hour after that. Or while I'm on the court, I'm going to find a line and do a line drill or do no steps or one steps or whatever it is. That's going to make me better while not necessarily getting into all the drills and getting into pads and getting into cleats and everything else that your other positions might have to do. Yeah, that is funny. I always, every time I see a line, I can't not like either take a swing yep. or like do some steps or something. It's funny. And, and it's becoming more than I'm like, obviously punting more. It's like the same thing, but I'm like holding, like I'm like holding a, like a fake ball, but it's the same thing. Um, and everyone's like, my girlfriends are like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't worry about it. Um, well, it's it, even, I mean, you can take it in other sports too. You talk to baseball players and you'll talk to baseball players and they'll be like, without a ball in there, like with a ball in their hand, they can turn the ball and put mm -hmm. laces and change their grip. But you'll talk to guys and like without a ball, they'll work on their grip and they'll work on just changing their hand position, changing whatever and going through the mental process, just like we would. And I, I feel like that goes for every sport, especially the higher up you go, you find your sport and your, what your, your craft in everything for us. Like you could be walking down the street and you see a line and to everyone else, there's a line on the ground. To us, it's that's where I have to go. 
So I, and like, I used to do it sitting in class. I used to do it, um, just dropping a ball down the hallway, whatever it was, but it's one where people look at you like you're crazy until you make that game winning kick. What I'll say about kicking though, that I don't think anything else, there's not a sport like it. And I, sometimes you could say, I mean, obviously I never played baseball, so I can't, I don't know what it feels like to be like, um, in the end of the game or like, I'm get like free throws are kind of like it at the end of the game, but there's nothing like, um, like I'll give you an example. Like, do you remember the Sierra Vista game when right before Zach caught the, 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 uh, the pass to win the game and I was like warming up like the mindset you go into and it's not even like you have to put yourself there. It's like this tunnel vision that just, that just makes you go there. And, and like, there's, there's not a sport that I know that, you black out almost every single kick you have. And then you almost black out before a big kick. Like you're just in, like you're in this almost complete adrenaline zone. And like, there, like, I don't think I've remembered any kick that I've ever kicked. I was trying to explain this to Sal on one of my podcasts. Like, he's like, what is like talking about kicking and everything? And I'm like, I do my steps. I take a breath in, I go for it. And then it's all gone everything is just gone out of my mind. And there's, I don't think there's another position out there that's, you don't remember doing it, you know? So I would, I would change that a little bit. You probably remember the kicks you missed. You remember the kicks you missed because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. When you get into that tunnel vision, you're doing everything right. So as soon as it gets changed, as soon as there's a step off, as soon as you watch the ball, as soon as whatever happens to make you miss, then you remember everything and it sticks in your brain. Like I remember, I, I mean, this was, this was in 2011 and I remember hitting a kick at Wisconsin with a hundred thousand people there from the right hash on a 52 yarder. I remember it, the snap, I remember the hold, I remember the smell of the field. I remember how hot it was. I remember exactly everything about that moment because I missed it. So my, no, I remember my game winner that I had, but like all my other made kicks, I don't remember them because they went down the middle and I did what I was supposed to do. And the coach said, Hey, good job. Now go kick the next one. So now I think one thing that goes along with that is for the most part, we're only getting seven kicks a game. So for everybody else, if you have a receiver that's only getting seven plays a game, he's probably not one of your key receivers. So in that instance, I think that's a little bit different. Um, but we also don't have to really make any decisions either. We can kind of tunnel vision it and go into it and swing through it and be done. And then jog off the field with three points with, if you take a point guard for a last second shot, he's not going tunnel vision until the ball's in his hand for that shot with a golfer. He may be lining up that putt, but he can hear everything until he's standing there with the putter right behind the ball. So I feel like there are some instances of it, but it's so specific in what we do. So once, once that ball snapped, like I said, unless something changes or it's a bad snap or you have to change something, you're in tunnel vision. Cause I, I, I remember telling you going into high school, I was like, you shouldn't remember anything. I, it's the weirdest thing, not being able to hear anything having almost it feels like you have blinders on where like everything else blacks out and then going in and all you as soon as your adrenaline kicks in as soon as that ball's off your foot then everything comes back but it's it's a weird feeling and it's it's a very rare feeling 
I feel like, I feel like you're right in that, but there are certain instances. Yeah. Um, I will say this, the one, the one kick that I remember the most, like I don't remember any of my like freshman year of college kicks really, but the one kick that I remember the most was foothill. The when we, when right before Toby kicked the onside kick, when I kicked the, I think it was an extra point. It might've been a short field goal. Or I think it was an extra point though, to tie the game. Uh, I remembered when, right when I got on the field and I was going to take my steps, everybody in the foothill sideline was, was a chanting joke, joke, joke. I remember that I can still hear it and I can still feel it, but like, I don't remember taking the kick and I don't remember making it, but I remember the, the sound of the crowd before I, um, before I like zoned in. And I will say that I do agree with that because with the missing, because I was watching the game this last weekend, uh, the Jaguars and Dan Bailey had missed two extra points and a field goal. And I just, I saw his face and I knew the feeling that he had on his face. It's that, it's that, it's that feeling when you've, when you can't hit the ball, right. You know what I mean? When the ball is just coming weird off your foot and you're in it, it's that face and, and you're warming up in the net and you're taking more than usual because it's coming weird off your foot and you can't hit the ball. Right now he did win the game for the Vikings, but I, when they zoomed in on him on the sidelines, there's just, I, I did understand like the facial expression that he was making. It's that weird, like the ball's just not coming off right. Yeah, I feel, I mean, NFL is a completely different world than anything else that we're used to. But I mean, especially those guys, I mean, you talked about, you talk about Bailey, you talk about Tucker, you talk about guys that have been doing it for the last decade. And then you, you even go into another category and you put, uh, you put uh, Robbie, uh, Robbie Gould in there and you put, um, you put some of those guys that have been doing it for 15 years. Um, and it's for those guys, it's, it's almost like if you're, if you're like for a baseball player to put into another sport, if you're a baseball player and you're hitting off a tee and you know what that feels like, you know exactly what it feels like. And when you just miss it by just enough for it to not go to the back of the cage where it's supposed to go, you kind of look at yourself like, okay, what did I do wrong? And then the problem is, you then focus and go, okay, I need to hit 10 more just like that. And you'll hit nine and you'll get to that 10th one and then miss hit it again and go, what am I doing? But it's, it's such a, our position is so psychological that it's one where just that little miss hit, that little kind of moment of doubt in yourself is enough to mess a guy up for a career. Do you, I'm sure you've been in your head. Do you remember the the worst time or the game that you were the worst in your head? Um, I try not to get in my head, like in a game, like I, practice is one thing on a weekend after a game is one thing. Um, I mean, I've had games where I think high school was probably the worst just because like I hadn't had that mental training yet. I hadn't had um, my coach really building me up yet. Um, I think my biggest one was like warm ups. If I had a if I had a good warm up, um, it was going to be bad. Which is which is funny to say for for most people because they're like, oh, you warmed up really good. You should you should kill it. But I feel like it's almost overconfidence at that point. Um, some of my worst games were I just couldn't make anything. Um, couldn't turn the ball over on a punt, couldn't hit the ball in the end zone on, on warmups. And then I, I remember I, I played against Del Sol for, uh, for one of the games and I probably made half my warmups kicks. 
And it was like 40 and in, I couldn't make anything. So, and I was just like, all right, this is, this is nuts. Like I'm a junior. I should, I'm, I'm hitting from 55 easy, but I can't hit a 30 yard chip shot. So, and I just couldn't hit anything during warmups. And that game, I ended up going four for four on field goals. One was a 52 and I hit every ball in the end zone for a touchback for kickoff. And, uh, it was one where I just balled out for the rest of the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting in your head during the week is the worst. Like getting in your head on a Tuesday is the worst because then you've got to fix everything by Friday or Saturday, whatever day you're playing. And it's, it, I mean, for you, you've been lucky for me. I was lucky having a coach for high school. Um, and then for college that I could talk to, but it's one where if I can't, I can't even imagine being a high school kid at a school that doesn't have a kicking coach and having a bad day on a Tuesday. And being like, okay, now I got Wednesday to fix it. Then it's walkthroughs Thursday, and then I got to play Friday. And that guy's probably playing another position. So, good luck. I um, I don't know if you remember this, but my I think it was whenever I would have a horrible Thursday walkthrough, and then I would have a good, really good Friday. If I had a yeah. really bad walkthrough on Thursday, like really bad, even though you would still get mad and make us still do those pushups, I would still ball out on Fridays. But I just remember, I don't, the jump that I made from junior, junior year to senior year still boggles my mind because not that I was like super inaccurate junior year. I was super accurate, but like senior year, I, w- I just hit another level and I was punting it. I was punting and I was kicking field and I had like, that's when I felt the best. And I, I think it was primarily the psychological. I was just more comfortable. Um, I had played um, like a full season on varsity. But that jump that I made from junior year to senior, and I can't imagine that it's, uh, it, it happens to that many people in, in their respective sports. Because like, it's one thing to like work your ass off and to like get better and like see yourself getting better. It's another thing to like work your ass off and like jump, you know, from skill, like from like to like, drastically get better at something. And like, I feel like a lot of that is just athleticism and getting older. Like now that I, like now that I'm getting older, I can get away with hitting a bat, uh, uh, not a perfect ball, like with distance wise, but I'm still like, uh, you know, I get more frustrated when I hit like a, a ball that especially let's go for a punt right now. Like I hit a 45 punt, but it's like not really like turn in and it's kind of off the inside. So, but I can get away with distance, but like, that jump when you go from like super mediocre to like good that I made during junior year to senior year, it's like, it's, it's another level, you know? I think a lot of that, um, is, is just maturity. It's not, it's not necessarily like you got, I mean, your jump from junior to senior year, you got bigger, faster, stronger, your, your body's kicking in in high school you're not, you're not this skinny little 14 year old anymore. You're, you're 17, 18 now for, for your senior year, but it's also your kind of your mentality of what do I need to do on the field for, I feel like your sophomore year is kind of a, your was kind of your throwaway year on JV. It was kind of like, as, as long as you made contact with the ball, we didn't care what you did. And we just hoped that you grew and kind of got to see what, what the feel, the feeling was like junior year was more of like, okay, let's get this guy ready. And we're going to kind of baby him a little bit. Senior year. I was like, Colin, go do it. Cause it was one where junior year was, you had to kind of understand what it was like to be on varsity, what it was like to be a kicker, what it was like. 
because people forget, like with special teams, once you get a fourth down, your quarterback's off the field. So your guy that spends the most time with the head coach is off the field now. So now it's up to your punter and kicker, which for most schools, they're ignored. So when that's why I spent so much time talking to you guys about kind of the mental side of it. If there's a bad snap, if there's not enough guys on the field, if we're, this is the situation, make sure you can read what's going on. So that way, when you walk on the field, you could calm everybody else down and you knew what was going on. So there's, I feel like there's a lot of times where they'll throw the kicker on the field and say, all right, go kick it. And then there'll be a weird formation. It'll be a weird situation. And the coach may know, may know what's going on, but can't relay it. For us, I feel like we had a really good relationship where it was like, I could give you a hand signal or I could give you a face or I could give you whatever. And you knew exactly what to do right away. But that didn't come into play until you were a senior when you'd already had a full year of varsity with me under your belt. And then even your partial, your partial year with us uh, as a sophomore. I think too, a good thing that you did that I don't think a lot of coaches, I mean, obviously I've only played for a couple of coaches, but I think a good thing that you did was you made me like talk to the guys before every kick. Like you made us do the MBK thing and you made me do the talking. Like you would just stand there, you know, you would tell me what the call was and then I would go and then it'd be like, I'm talking to them. Cause that's what the quarterback does. And basically fourth down kicker, you're the quarterback of special. You're the quarterback. You're the fourth down quarterback, especially punt uh, kickoff. You're, you're the main guy. You're, you're the guy who knows you're going to put the ball. You're the guy who knows the call and everything. And so I think making me do that made me more comfortable to be the leader of that group. Cause I think a lot of schools, like you said, and a lot of coaches just, it's the, the kicker's the throwaway guy. He's another man on special teams. He's the one kicking the ball. But I think it's another thing to look at it like he's the leader of that group. Like if he fucks up, the whole thing's fucked, you know? Like it, can you imagine like like people don't realize how important punt and kickoff really are. Can you imagine like if you just walked out there every fourth down like inside field goal range and just missed every single time and they're like they, they would the coach would absolutely lose his mind but you can go out there and hit a bad ball um kick off and have a roll somewhere or like uh, hit a bad punt and have it roll and like they get mad but they don't get the same amount of mad because it's not points but in reality punt and kickoff is field position and field position is points and I don't think a lot of people understand that when they're watching special teams. Well, that's, and that's a big thing with, with young kickers. I know I, I remember talk, talking to you about it when you were, I think you were a junior and then talking to other kickers around the, around the Valley, around kickers around, around the country even, and then being like, well, we're, they're making me pop kick or they're making me kick, uh, onside kicks or whatever. And it's taken away my stats. No one cares what that stat is. No one cares that you're the kickoff champion for your state. No one cares that you have the most touch. I mean, touchbacks are a big one, but they care that when you let it lose, I mean, Gavin Wales, a perfect example. When he kicked a Coronado, the coaches really didn't let him let it loose. He didn't, I mean, he could put the ball in the end zone 95% of the time, but because Coronado was playing from behind so often, they had to do pop kicks. So they had to do kickoffs. So if you looked at his kickoff average, he was only kicking off like 20 yards. If you look at other schools where, yeah, you're blowing teams out, yeah, you can have it. You can kick deep every single time. So I feel like it's more of a, and for you, like you could put the ball in the end zone. You could hit touchbacks. But we had to play kind of a psychological game with the other team where, hey, he's going to put this ball five yards deep and we're going to do it twice. And then when everybody backs up, then we're going to pop kick you. 
So now you have no idea where to line up and you're making a tight end that makes your catches now instead of your fast returner. So a lot of that is not necessarily, oh, we don't trust the kicker or we don't think that he can get it done. It's more of a, what does the team need? Yeah, I haven't really thought about it like that. Um, I was pissed every time I did those pop kicks, except for when we got that ball back against Taylorsville. Because um, Taylorsville, first kickoff, went to like the, I don't know, like seven, and they returned it, and then they kicked off, and Frank returned it. And then so you guys made us do the pop kick, and I think the third pop kick we did, we got it back. DP got it. Um, but I didn't even think about like pop being like, like making the tight end catch until this year when a team did it to us and we dropped it. And then, and it, it changed the momentum of the game. Give me three seconds though. I have more questions to ask you. Just a couple more. I got to take a piss though. Yeah. Do you know how jealous I get though of Tyrell Crosby every single Sunday, watching him block for literally my hero, like watching him know my hero. He Tyrell's amazing. Every time Tyrell's in town, I'll call him and be like, Hey dude, you want to stop by my, my class? Um, he'll come in and spend like a whole day in my class, just answering questions. Um, and then like, even last year I had, he came in like right before all the quarantine happened. And I had like half the football team in my room, just asking questions, asking about recruiting, asking about um, him playing in Oregon, what it's like to be a pro, all this kind of stuff. Um, and Tyrell, I mean, Tyrell's awesome. He like, he'll hit me back on like right after the game and be like, Hey, um, how, how was this? What's, what's this like? Um, even if it's just like a, Hey, good job, good job on a win. And he'll, he'll make time for that. And that's, I mean, Tyrell's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen him. I've, I think I've talked to him three times because the first time was obviously you introduced me to him. I think twice. I think I met him with you twice. And then the third time I was at work and like, I've, I know him and I was like, Hey, that's Tyrell Crosby. And everyone's like, why do you know this big guy? And I'm like, Oh, he's a Detroit lineman, offensive lineman. And I like yelled his name and he like came and like shook me up and everything. I was like, why does this guy know who you are? I was like, Oh my coach. And he was at the lake. So I got to like personally, like, um, uh, like kind of cater to him in his little group. Um, but that was really fun. But yeah, he's such a nice guy. Like every time I've I've ever talked to him, he's just been like super cheery, super happy, like super conversating to me. Cause it's really easy to like, Oh, that's just a kicker. No one like coach, but like, it's really easy just to blow him off once you're like a pro, but he's just super nice. He always like says, what's up. He always talks to me for a while. You know, he's such a nice guy. So I can totally see that, especially since you have a personal relationship with him. Like, did you meet him because of green Valley? Like, did you guys play at the same time? Yeah. So he played, he played after me, but he was best friends with my brother. Like he was, he'd sleep on my parents' couch, like after practice and they'd feed him and whatever else. Um, but Tyrell's, I mean, Tyrell's hilarious. I mean, his whole build up. I mean, watching him play in high school was hilarious. I remember going to his, uh, all-star game for, for high school and they, whoever they lined up, I mean, he's, all state power clean champion went went full ride to Oregon um, started his first year at Oregon. Um, He's with the lions now, but he buried this kid like four straight plays. And again, this is the all-star game. This is the best guys in town and whoever he lined up against the, like the first play just pancaked him. Second play, like grabbed him and like there was was that Gorman and they have that fence that goes all the way around the, the, the field. He like drove him into the fence. And then did that on the next play too. 
the fourth play, the kid just like stood up and like backed up and was like, I'm, I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not doing this. Which anymore. exactly I would have been too. Yeah. And it's, it's funny seeing him flip that switch because off the field, he's, he's hilarious. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like, if you follow him on Instagram, like he's making lasagna like every other night and he's just, just a weird guy like that. But then like he'll go in and just body people. Yeah. He's yeah, he's he's huge too. Like you forget how big he is, and then you see him and he's like six, well, I don't know, six five, six six, and he's just like two hundred and eighty pounds. I think it's, I think he's six five, three hundred right now. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Just absolutely a tank. Um so how did you get in line with or like get in like become like close with Dave Harrington? Harrington? Yeah. So that was all with Sailor. So uh with Dave. Um, he runs Sin City Kicking now, so I do Champions of Vegas out here. We kind of tag team on a ton of stuff out here. Um, but he, uh, he, so with Dave, he played at Tennessee, um, and then played at Idaho State, and then he played at he played at JUCO too. I think he came home after Tennessee. Um, but he was at one of Sailors camps in January, and was like, "Yeah, I just moved out here. Uh, I'm teaching." Uh, at a middle school and I want to get into kicking out here. Uh, so we kind of tag team some stuff, got some lessons going for him and um, started kind of our group sessions on Saturday. And I mean, we've seen each other almost every Saturday and then got a camp going over the summer that you worked. Um, and now he's the special teams coach over at Liberty. So uh, he's got a bunch of stuff in the pipeline. Um, we're we're going to try to expand a little bit. Um, we're looking at Southern Utah, Northern Arizona, um, even like the fringes of California. Um, just because, I mean, there's a, you look at like Joey Cejudo, Donnie Hageman, those guys have like San Diego lockdown. Those they got, they do a great job out there with next level. Um, but you look at like Barstow Baker, there's really nobody coaching over there. Um, so for us to expand just a little bit, um, even help out with some of the, uh, the colleges around. So whether it be, UNLV, whether it be Dixie, uh, SUU, NAU, um, even the JUCOs around, uh, I mean, we're, we're looking to help out and we're looking to expand a little bit, especially, I mean, we were super happy with this last turnout at Sailors uh, Camp in November. Uh, I think we had nine guys that were out of Vegas, and that's the most we've ever had. Um, I remember going in, what I go? I went in 09. I went in January of 09, and they had it was me and my punter were the only guys, um, from, from Nevada. So now we had, I think in total, there were 11 guys from, from Nevada. There were two guys up from, from Reno. Um, but everybody else was from down here, which I think is a huge testament to Dave's work to try to help grow this. And then kind of us both tag teaming it, making sure guys are out and just getting stuff done. Why champions of Vegas kicking or yeah, champions of Vegas kicking? Because I know you were chorus kicking Academy for a while. Why change the name now? Was there like a marketing reason or did you just like, it was time for a change. So, um, part of it was I wanted to, um, expand a little bit. I wanted it to not just be, um, not just be me. So, I mean, in the, in the very beginning, it was literally like my first camp that I ever did was in, I did it at Canyon Springs in 2014. I think it was May of like 2014. And I had, I think I had like 12 balls 
So I had like one bag of balls. I had like four kids at the camp. Um, and it was literally like me, my dad. Um, and then my roommate at the time was like taking pictures for me. So that was it when I started it. Um, now it's like, it's kind of grown a little bit into, I mean, I, I just ran the numbers the other day cause I was, uh, talking to some coaches and it was like in the last, in the last seven years, I've had 15 guys that I've worked with go to college. Um, I've had out of, there's been 24 award winners, kicking award winners, um, in that time. And 22 of them have come through me. Um, so I mean, that's kind of a testament and it's awesome to see guys coming back though. So like even I worked with Jay Maddox before uh, when I was in college and to see him working with guys, to see you working with guys, to see Derek uh, Ang working with guys. Um, it's, it's awesome to see that kind of come in and kind of see the next generation of kicking coaches come. Um, and that was part of the reason of it um, to just kind of expand and, uh, and just be kind of be me, but to have it be Vegas in general. Yeah, I figured that's what it was. Cause I remember it was cohorts kicking Academy when I came through what, 2016 is when I started, I think with you 2016, uh, whenever yeah, it's, it's been cohorts from since 2014 when I started it until 2020. Uh, and then I just changed it this year just yeah. because it's a new generation of guys coming in and I want to get you guys on board and get guys coming back and kind of let people know that like we're, we run Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. Finally, after two injuries in college two, not one, two to finally get to play. And, and, um, I obviously have oh, like, froze up. Oh, I did. Am I back? Um, what I was saying was I'm excited to finally get to play my last year. Well, obviously I have some more years, so I got to make some decisions, but like I was talking about earlier, but finally get to like, I mean, I played my freshman year. I kicked field goals at the end of the season or like halfway through to the end of the season, um, a little after halfway. And then now I'm finally going to get to basically start a position. Hopefully like that's where we're headed, but you know, obviously COVID and everything. So I'm finally, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to finally play again because it's been a, it's been so long. Like it's it's one thing to go hit some balls in the park, but it's another thing to do it in a game. It's like so much more fun to play in a game. I think that's with anything, but it's just like so much more fun to to especially especially when you hit like just a bomb, just in general. Like and it like it's there's nothing like it because like and hopefully by next fall we'll, we'll have fans. But there's nothing like it. Like people cheering and everything, and like you just like you have, you have like that adrenaline, you let it go. Cause then you can go ahead and hit a new ball, but it's like, you have, you have that, that momentum almost, you know, I miss it. It's, I just, I was just talking to somebody about the, the other day. And, um, I mean, one of my, one of my sayings that I stole from my coach, um, from high school was don't look up the fans will tell you. So it wasn't, it's not to pull your head. So you got to look and make sure the ball goes through keep your head down. The fans will cheer and they'll let you know, no fans, your team better be cheering because they, you need to keep that head down. Otherwise you're going to pull it and miss. So well, I was just, I was thinking, I was like, do I need to change that? Do I just wait it out until we get fans back? Like, how do I keep this going? So, um, but yeah, I was just thinking about that the day. I was like, 
it's it's I can only imagine, especially like UNLV. Like I went to their game at who they play. They were playing something. They played Fresno. That's who it was at the uh, at Allegiant, and it was weird. There were only two thousand fans there, and I think there were like like ten people in my entire section. So it was like it's dead in there, and like I, the uh, the quarterback uh, Max Gillum had like a seventy yard touchdown run or something, and like the all the walk ons and uh, or the the guys that are registered and the guys that didn't dress were in the were in the end zone, not in the stands. And so when he scored, they were going crazy, and you know the sideline was going crazy. But it was it was so weird that it was that quiet that you could hear them cheering as opposed to anything else. Yeah, I hate it. I honestly, I fans make football fans make football. Now, obviously the NFL is different. Cause like they know there's fans cause everyone's watching, but like to an extent, like some big name college football teams, but like fans make football. Like you, it's fun to play and it's fun to play against people, but it, there's, it's fun to play against people with people cheering. Like it's just, there's just, when the stands are packed, you have more fun. You can engage when you hit it. Like it, it's just way more, there's more adrenaline. Sorry. Hold on. Um, but yeah, I, and, we, and we've also, I think everybody's had those games where there's nobody there, whether it be a, a freshman football game when it's really just parents there as opposed to varsity where the entire school comes out. Um, or like, like I played at UNLV in some of our down years when it's the last game of the season and there's 10,000 people there. And for those games, like you can talk to the guy behind you um, as opposed to playing at Wisconsin, playing at Minnesota, playing my senior year when we went to a bowl game, when we packed, we we would pack them. So um, now like for high school, college, I think it's a little bit different just because, it's one where you can sit there and go, it's way more fun with fans. We need the fans there because that's the energy with, with pros. It's like, I'm going out to get, to get money. I'm going out there to get a paycheck. So if fans show up or not, it's probably more fun with fans, but like you watch like hard knocks and it's like, you're still going to drive the guy in front of you. You're still going to ball out regardless of those fans there or not. With high school and college, I feel like it's a little bit harder to get up for those, though. Yeah. All right, Nolan. Thank you for coming on. It was just a blast. Um, I'll see you Saturday. Perfect. See ya. See ya, Nolan. That was episode 26 with Nolan Kohorst, head of champions of Vegas kicking. And you did hear that, right? He was my kicking coach in high school, and he still is basically my kicking coach now. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Calling Demands Answers show. If you guys do like it, give it a like, share, and a download. Follow me on all my social media. Subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, stay demanding answers.